Are you recording now? Branch. 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 Branch out. A podcast from the Royal Botanic Garden, Sydney. It gives me respite from my parents. Uh, they are both ill. It provides me with exercise. I've got a one-bedroom apartment and also creates a community within. Because this is Surrey Hills, we get a lot of people who jump fences, we get intruders, especially the bottom flats, uh, people breaking in. Um, Also, prior to having this, this was overgrown, weeds up to here, no one came back here. No one came back here. Now people come back here, look at the garden, pick things up. Hey, I'm Vanessa Fuchs, and today I'm in Sydney, standing in Norbert's beautiful inner city garden. Well, actually, it's not just Norbert's. Uh, my name's Norbert. I live in Surrey Hills in a block of units of 21. Uh, I am part of the community that looks after the community garden. If you've listened before, you might think that Branch Out is all about plants. But with Are You OK Day around the corner, today's episode is just as much about people. Because the garden we're in today is the result of years of work to bring a social housing community together. It's just one part of a much bigger project run by the Royal Botanic Garden Sydney in partnership with the New South Wales Department of Family and Community Services. It's called the Community Greening Program. And at this social housing block, Norbert has been a trailblazer. It started with John, who's my neighbour, doing the flower garden, and both of us then started to develop it. What we wanted was to change the concept or the pre-existing ideas of what people have of public housing. It's not all doom and gloom, and we're not all criminals, and we're not all mental health issues. We are low-paid workers who need housing. From there... Norbert went to the housing department who got in touch with Phil Pettit, a community greening coordinator, for a bit of support to help his idea grow. Uh, Which it has. I mean, I'm not the only person who cares for this. There's uh, Darren who waters every second day. Uh, We've had a few people come and pick up some fruit and veg. So you're using the gardening to create a community in a way. It's like not one or the other. They're kind of working hand in hand. Yes. And I'm trying to promote, because I work and look after my parents, I'm trying to uh, get people to come down and look after it as well. It's mainly to try and slowly build community. It's a difficult process. A difficult process. So how... Do you grow a sense of community centred around a garden when you're living in a concrete jungle? This building was built on industrial rubbish site, so the soil is crap. But Phil and Norbert came up with a range of solutions to help things grow. Organic seaweed and fish emulsion, which is a liquid fertiliser for for you to use on top of the the worm juice that you water onto the garden. Worm juice. Oh, mm. oh look, I, I was stuff. quite grossed turned out. Out, grossed out by it. And then <laughs> yeah. you realise, well, you wash the vegetables anyways. But worm juice is just the start of the recipe for a fully fledged inner city green space. So Phil and a group of us about this time last year set this up. Yeah. Just describe what we're seeing here. OK, cos lettuce, rocket, mint, um, broccolini, broccoli, cauliflower and cabbage. Um, and these are what, waste sort of high uh, raised garden beds? Yeah. yeah, for 
not only for me because I'm getting older, but we've got a lot of tenants who are older and bending over is difficult and I just don't want to break my back anymore. The corner area, I've just applied for a grant to put a native beehive. Because last year what happened, we had zucchinis, cucumber, the flowers were there, but they never turned to fruit. So we're hoping that with the native stingless bees, they will pollinate and we'll get a lot more fruit out of it. Spending the afternoon with Norbert in his garden, it's easy to see how much thought and care he puts into it. And by extension, his neighbours. Yeah, my next door neighbour, Dave, who's got the terrace, provides us with their scraps for the composting. Is that you? <laughs> yeah. oh. Okay. Uh, that's my next door neighbour who was in hospital. Um, and it has, for me, lowered the tension between tenants. So it's calmed things down a bit and it's just nice to have the green. Norbert is that one-of-a-kind community leader with a green thumb. But although he is unique, across New South Wales there are almost 160,000 youth and adults just like him, taking part in the community greening program. Yeah, so uh, we've got uh, over 411 community gardens since we started back in 2000, uh, just before 2000. So that's quite a lot. And we've got another 350 or so youth gardens. So somewhere around 750 uh, community and youth gardens across New South Wales. So how hands-on are the community gardening facilitators? Like, how does it work? Yeah, like, so it sounds like a lot of logistics, a lot yeah, of different look, people. So just depending on the site, this is a small site. It's a little bit, um, a little bit easier, but we try to uh, come out here and talk to people about the design and where it might work. Uh, obviously we've got shade and sunlight issues here but Norbert's doing a fantastic job considering that limited light and space so we, we put a bit of a concept design together get everybody's sort of um, on board with it and, and modify it if need be uh, get the housing providers approval so that residents are involved in that from the, the ground up it's it's a slow process and we're we're working to get engaged people and um, community gardens are part of a solution for, for people to get access fresh food um, and, and have pride in their community and education and things, but it can be quite a, a long process to, to build that engagement with others and make sure that they feel that it's theirs and that they're comfortable to come out and, and be part of the garden. On top of that, we, we would try to sort of come out monthly to support uh, residents in, in the garden with some Which workshops and things. Phil um, did for the first six months. About six months here, yeah. Came monthly to build up my skills on propagating, on using non-chemicals to uh, control pests. So we've um, just got three years funding for our Master Gardener program, which um, provides a week-long course for people to do. And we're also linking in with other social enterprises that can provide small links to employment for people as well. So that's something that would be really relevant, I think, for, for Norbert. Yes. Um, I feel like this whole program is like a big life lesson, all in one, like you've got to learn patience, how to grow mm. your own food, interact with others, the trainee becomes the teacher, like it yeah. just embodies all of these things. Even though the program has its roots in humble beginnings, it was never designed to be a plant the seed and pray for rain approach. 
Those vital lessons are the foundations of the program and the mental and physical health benefits experienced by people like Norbert are fully backed by research through a collaboration with Western Sydney University. But how that connection came about was actually down to chance. I was on my way to present at the Dubbo Environmental Educators Conference and I sat down on a plane next to a woman who said, oh, you know, where are you off to? Um, and I said, going to Dubbo, and she said, oh yeah, me too, I'm from Western Sydney, I'm Tonya, nice to meet you, what are you talking about? And I told her about my program, and um, she said, that's marvellous, we should do something together. Wow. Listen to the plane, fly yeah. by, <laughs> wave to the passengers. <laughs> serendipitous. Phil Pettit was on a plane uh, and sat beside one of my colleagues. That's Dr. San Truong from Western Sydney University. He's part of the team who studied and documented the benefits people like Norbert were actually feeling, backing up their real-life experiences with research. Uh, a conversation just started up and so all along we started trying to put in some proposals for, for some research funding. Sun and his colleagues tracked the health and well-being of participants at six new community graining sites in 2017 in New South Wales, a topic he and many researchers around the world are interested in as urbanisation takes over. I've always been a believer in the impact of nature, how it impacts on us, our well-being, our sense of self and connection to self and others. So. It's been really interesting moving into this space more specifically with gardens, but also, you know, in, in sort of sustainability education as well. Even though we've known this for a very long time, I think there's a shift back now and a refocus to actually thinking about what is the interconnectedness between humans and nature and where did that disconnect uh, start to come from and emerge in our, in our thinking. It seems sort of like a no-brainer. We all know this is what's good for us. Mm -hmm. It's just a surprise it's not more common. So like, what were some of those big things that you found, like those health and well-being benefits? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. In our very nature-exchanged lives sometimes, you know, you know, looking at pictures of nature when you're at your desk has, has benefit. But for Norbert and his neighbours, that picture of nature is now right outside the kitchen window. And Sun and his team's results suggest that Norbert's positive experience was shared by most others across the program. So being able to get outdoors, um, having something to get them out of their units, those physical benefits of movement, you know, shifts towards eating healthier foods, the sense of social cohesion. Some participants would say, oh, if someone was out at the garden or someone's out watering, then, you know, I'll just head down as well. Families where there was a grandchild and then the parent and then their parent um, all spending time in the garden, being able to share those experiences. And then intercultural was another strong theme that came through. So there are loads of physical and social benefits. But what about the solace you get from just being with plants? You know, many participants talked about how it was quite calming or, or even meditational uh, to just sort of get out, have a bit of a routine, you know, seeing the seeds grow, um, watering them, tending to the garden. Some of the participants talked about how spending time in the garden was a bit of an escape and, and in some cases not focus on some of the challenges they were going through. You know, so there is the escape element, but also the coping mechanism as well. You know, all these things are happening in my life, but I know that I can have some time in the garden. And Norbert hasn't been alone in using the garden to not only change what's going on in the inside, but how people from the outside see public housing. One of the quotes coming through that 
that sticks with me is um, one participant said, you know, we're not scum. You know, one of them said, you know, in the past, yes, there were some problems in this in this housing estate, and, and it kind of became known for that, you know, the problems rather than the people. And so, yeah, I think it represents a lot um, for certain people. It represents a lot more than, than just the garden beds itself. That's really cool. And it makes me really sad that they would say we're not scum. Like, that's that's a pretty strong word. Yeah, across different sites, you know, they talked about the fact that, well, if if people can see that we're taking care of this space, that, you know, we're taking care of, of the community and we care about the community as well. And that idea of growing a community from a garden has been the biggest element. One of the strongest findings that came out was the sense of emotional connection. And, and I think that goes alongside that sense of community as well. So that's something that we tried to explore um, in terms of, yes, we're living beside people, but is there a sense of community? Oh, in, in the garden the at boss. the moment? <laughs> no, no, that's, that's what I'm trying not to do. Um, and ever so slowly, a social ecosystem starts to emerge that looks like way more than just a group of strangers doing some gardening. These are people starting to reconnect with each other and the world around them. While we're out here or up the front, as tenants come to and fro, we have a conversation. For example, John, who's just come back from hospital, I cook for him. Um, I went to visit him. People have asked, how's John? So there's a connection. You live um, near each other, but you might not necessarily have an excuse to hang out before. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of the people here have uh, social anxiety. So by the small communication, that builds over time and you get to know them. So it, it's a slow process. It's taken 19 years, but I intend to be here for a very, very long time. I told them they've had to mm. use a coffin to get me out. <laughs> um, most of us here have been here long, long term. And I think prior to John starting the garden out here and this being started, we were individual cells, not connecting at all, not saying hello, not caring for the people around. So, and I think that's what's the main benefit is that people are starting to talk to each other and that connection slowly grows. It's not going to be fast, it, yeah. There are. Some plants. Yes. That's like we say, it takes time, yeah. yeah Unlike our passion fruit. <laughs> it's going crazy. Yeah. It loves it. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Branch Out. If you like the show, please hit subscribe and leave a five-star rating and a review in your app. It helps more people find us. If you want to know more about the Community Greening Program, Head to the Royal Botanic Garden Sydney's website and look for Community Greening under the Learn section on our homepage. Are You OK Day is next week, so remember, staying connected and having meaningful conversations is something we can all do. So ask someone if they're OK, or go for a walk together at our botanic gardens in Sydney, the Blue Mountains, or Mount Annan. Next episode, you'll go behind the scenes at the National Herbarium of New South Wales at the Royal Botanic Gardens, Sydney, where 1.43 million precious plant specimens are kept for historical and ongoing research purposes. Each specimen's unique because we can't go backwards in time. We have collections in here there is which have been devastated now, so that's the only record we have of what we had beforehand. 
Some were collected by botanists on Captain Cook's voyage. And then there are some that were put in there just yesterday by our scientists. If you want to know more about how world-leading scientists are delivering solutions for some of the world's most critical environmental and biodiversity issues, head to the science page on the Royal Botanic Garden Sydney's website. I'm Vanessa Fuchs, and Tom Allenson produced this episode of Branch Out.